see you here. If you would, join us, stand, and uh, sing with us.
love the words to that song. It's a reminder to us of all the blessings that we have been afforded in God. And we think about this time of year, this week, what we've just celebrated with Thanksgiving. And it really is a time for us to be thankful and to rejoice in all that the Lord has given. It makes me think of Psalm 92, which was in my scripture reading plan this week that I came across. A, a psalm that was written for the Sabbath, a time of, of pausing, uh, resting, and really meditating on the blessings of the Lord. And the psalmist says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. That is the joy that we get to sing of this morning, is it not? When we think about all that the work of the Lord has done, in particular, in particular the work of drawing us near to himself and reconciling us to his great name. What an awesome privilege for us to gather. So welcome this morning as we get to sing and worship and praise our great God together. If you would, please begin our time of worship by opening that worship folder you should have received on your way in this morning. If you still need one, feel free to make your way to that back table there. Uh, just want to navigate your way through that with a few things. If you could take out that check-in card and uh, just register your attendance this way, it's a great help to us. If you just uh, fill that out, uh, let us know any ways that we can be praying for you or rejoicing with you this week. You can drop it in those tables at the back of the room on your way out, uh, or you can just go on to our church uh, center app and fill out your attendance that way. It'll just uh, get to us in a different way, but it will still get to us. And for that, we are very thankful as a way to just make sure that your soul is being shepherded and being accountable here at Newcastle. It's a great privilege for us to do that with you. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, and we know that there probably are some of you, maybe you're visiting this weekend because you're visiting family for the holidays, uh, we just want to say welcome to you. We are so excited that you are here to worship with us this morning. We'd still encourage you to fill out this card as well, but if you could take it out to our welcome desk on the other side of this uh, uh, wall here, uh, you'll find some friendly faces right behind the desk area there, and they're just ready to greet you with some more information, to answer any questions that you might have, and just say welcome. We're so glad that you're here here that you've chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, it's just a way for us to personally connect with you, so please afford us the opportunity to do that this morning. Well, one of the things that I am thankful for here at Newcastle is that we are a multi-generational church. We are so thankful for the different uh, age groups that the Lord has blessed us with here at this church, and we are excited this Saturday to celebrate that even more as we look forward to the uh, annual Rooted Phase 4 Christmas dinner. This is a special chance for our students and our ministry to host the seniors of our church uh, with a Christmas dinner, a program, and opportunity to really usher in the Christmas season as we uh, celebrate the incarnation, the gift of the Lord that he has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So this is a great evening of food, a fellowship, a great program together. And we, we enjoy doing this pre-COVID. This is something we haven't brought back until this year. And so we're excited to get back into it again. Uh, the menu has been set. The uh, servers and stuff are all being worked out right now. So we would just invite you to be a part of that. Uh, if you're a student or one of the people in our phase four ministry, one of the ways you can help us with that is just registering your attendance. So you can find that on the back of that check-in card or by going on to the church center app. Again, you will find a sign up there that you can also do just as easy. So please afford us the chance to see you on Sunday by registering your attendance there. And we'll look forward to seeing you uh, on Saturday night 
this week from 5 to 7. So a lot to look forward to in our church family, including our service this morning. So let's entrust the rest of our time to the Lord now in a word of prayer. Lord Father, we have just sung that it is good to give thanks to you, to sing praises to your name. You are a great God. Your steadfast love endures forever. It encourages us by morning and your faithfulness by night. Lord, you have made us glad by your works, the work of Lord, especially not just creating this earth, but ultimately drawing us near to yourself. And so we think about this Thanksgiving weekend. It is an opportunity for us to pause and to give thanks to you. But Lord, if we're honest and we recognize who we have been made to be in Christ Jesus, Thanksgiving is not just a time of year. It's not just a, a thing that we do and we pause every now and then. Lord, Thanksgiving is really a demeanor. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. And for those who have been saved from sin, who have been brought into the family of God after being enemies, Lord, how can our life be anything but an expression of thanksgiving and praise and worship to you for who you have made us to be? Lord, you are an amazing God. And so we just pray that over the next hour as we sing praises to you with our lips and as we meditate uh, in our hearts of who you are, that your great name would be honored, that it would be revered, and that, Lord, it would stimulate each of us to more uh, good deeds and to greater works that uh, people might see in us uh, the glories of your salvation. Lord, that is what brings you honor and praise, and that is what we seek to do this morning. So help us to do so through the ministry of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would ask. Amen. Well, as we step off of the Thanksgiving holiday, we kind of, you know, think back, reflect that thankful uh, that Thanksgiving, what is that? Well, thankfulness is kind of just a, it, we kind of talk about it like it's an attitude. But when we actually say thank you to somebody, that's something that is coming from us to the giver, whoever that might be. So if we're wondering this Thanksgiving season, who can we say ultimately thank you to? We can say our thanks. We can give our praise to the Lord God. So would you stand with us if you're able, and we can sing the praise to our Lord Almighty. Oh, hell. 
us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. All right, you can have a seat. Good morning to you. Beautiful day to be here. I'm always so thankful to have a, a Sunday at the end of the Thanksgiving week, um, week of, of remembering how good God has been to us. And you know, my family personally has a lot to be thankful for. And one of the things that we're really grateful for is you, is this community of people, this body of believers here that, that God has placed us in. Just grateful for the way uh, many of you individually have moved in and out of, of the lives of myself and Carmen and the kids. Um, we're just really, really grateful for you. So I love to share this Thanksgiving with you. So we're going to dismiss the kids to Children's Church. So this is uh, three to kindergarten. And we're also going to dismiss first to sixth grade. So they're going to go to the log room uh, to practice for the Christmas program. So if you have some of those, you can follow the flood of people leaving. And if the rest of you would bow with me, let's pray this morning. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So, Father, we do this morning, our hearts kneel uh, before you, a, a great God who is the creator of all that is. Just come off a, a week here of, of thanksgiving. And so I, I pray that for us, uh, for each one of us here, that we could have taken some time to really think about how good you have been, how much we have been blessed. So we realize that there are people that, that this is a week it's kind of a high to get to see uh, people we haven't seen and, and rekindle relationships, see family, take some time of rest. But we realize, Father, that this is a hard time for some, some that don't look forward to this week at all. It's a memory of empty chairs and perhaps relationships that aren't what they used to be. But you meet us where we are. Father, we're grateful to know that that you promise you'll work all things uh, for the good of those who are the called, that you have chosen us, that whether this was a hard week or a good one, you desire to work it to our good, to make us people who look more like Jesus in everything that we do. So, Father, as a church, we have some needs. We have some medical needs. There's recoveries and some treatments that are going on. Pray for your healing hand. Father, we're aware that you hold our, our very breath in your hand. And so the healing of our bodies is no stretch for you. And so we pray for it, that you'd uh, heal our folks, bring us back to health, 
um, so that they are primed to serve you, that their bodies are in, in condition that can serve you to the best of their abilities. Pray this morning for Pastor Tyson as he teaches us from Ephesians as we learn about uh, employers and employees. Father, this is a, an area I have to admit, it's easy to, to compartmentalize in my life, I think in our lives. It's easy to set that, the workplace as separate from the, the church self. Uh, forgive us for that. I'm thankful that we get to learn what Tyson has to say. You desire us to be one, to be a person who is the same everywhere we go. All the mission fields you send us to, that we'd be people who bring glory to your name. To pray for our partner church today is Cross Point Community in Eureka. Pray for your blessing on them and Pastor Dave as they worship today. Pray that you'd prosper their ministry there in that Eureka community as they live devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another and driven to reach people. I pray, Father, that you'd hold up their leadership there, that group of elders and uh, the deacons there as they would serve, that you'd give them wisdom, give them strength to stand firm, uh, to be a people who are, who are solid in your word and what you would teach that they could lead uh, that congregation well. Our go partner is uh, Gabby and Mateo, thankful to be able to pray for them. I pray for their health. Uh, they've been fighting some sickness and some uh, health challenges. Challenges. Pray that uh, a week of rest would have helped at this week of Thanksgiving, that they could rest and recharge. Father, there's so much work there for them to do. Uh, pray that you would restore them to health uh, to do it. Pray for their upcoming outreaches, some community activities surrounding the, the World Cup. Christmas is coming up, and I know they have their dance recital. I pray for that. I'm so thankful for the way that they reach into these um, little kids' families, these girls, and, and show them love and purpose and meaning that, that comes from Christ, things that are foreign uh, to some of these kids in, in this Tenderloin neighborhood. Pray for the, the unhoused folks there. Uh, it is... It's a challenging place there in that in the Tenderloin. Uh, folks who don't have a place to stay perhaps can't keep it if they get one. And so I pray for uh, your provision for them, for safety, protect them from sickness, um, and raise up folks like uh, Gabby and Mateo to help uh, to reach out to this group. And finally, for the women that the, they reach through Gabby's ministry, just pray for their hearts as they... Uh, look around for hope in a world that doesn't have any, that the, the light of Christ would shine through Gabby and Mateo there, that God would draw, would draw those girls to you uh, through the witness of, of Gabby and Mateo. Father, we, we acknowledge that everything we have is from you. Our life, our breath, our, our money, our resources, this facility. Everything we have is from you. We're, we're dependent on you to provide it. And so pray that your spirit would be strong today through the rest of this service. We trust you with it, knowing that you're a God who keeps your promises. So we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and stand again if you're able and join us in singing.
be seated. Amen to that song. It is such a joy to be here with you all this morning, worshiping, singing, praying together. Uh, There's no better place to be on earth than right here with you all this morning. And I believe that. That's not just some cliche that this is true. This is good to be together and worshiping the Lord together. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you today, just simply raise your hand as our ushers are about to walk down these aisles here, and uh, they would be happy to give you a Bible to use today, or even take it home if you don't have one at home as our gift to you. As we've been walking through Ephesians over the past couple months, we've really learned how Christians are to live out who they are. We are to live in light of who we are. We have been graciously saved by God through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We have been supernaturally united by the Holy Spirit into Christ in one body of believers that we call the church. That is who we are. But since we have been transformed by God and given a new nature and desires, we are called to live out this new identity. We are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. But how do you do that? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 5 that we are to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit? Well, we see the fruit in our relationships. We see the fruit of the Spirit in our relationships with fellow church members, between husbands and wives, and between children and parents. But even though we've been transformed by the gospel and empowered by the Spirit, to live a life of holiness, we all still struggle and wrestle with sin. As one commentator noted, Christians possess the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't possess them. Hence the reason for Paul's command. Having addressed marriage and family relationships the past two weeks, Paul now addresses the last relational building block of society, our work relationship. This morning, we're going to study how spirit-controlled workers ought to live in the workplace. So if you're able, would you please join me in standing in the honor honor of reading God's Word and follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please join me in praying. Father, I'm so thankful. In the spirit of thanksgiving uh, that we have just celebrated, I just want to say that we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that your word restores, revives the soul, that your word is pure, that your word makes the simple wise, 
that your word and your testimonies um, help us to grow. They are a light unto our path. They are sweeter than honey. We are warned by them, and even moreover, there is great reward in keeping them. And I pray, Lord, that through your word this morning, that you would continue to transform our hearts and our minds to renew us, to show us what your will is, to equip us to carry out your will in the power of the Spirit so that we would be worshipers of you, Lord. We ask for your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage is all about work. And that's a good thing because we spend a lot of time in our lives doing work. The Bible is a very practical book. Christianity is very practical. But do you know how much time you spend working? Well, studies have been done, and it says that the average person from the years 18 years old to 67 will spend one-third of their life at work. And that does not include the work you do at home. That's about 90,000 hours, and that doesn't include a commute. We spend more time at work than we do anything else in life, aside from probably sleeping. So one-third of your life working, one-third of your life sleeping, the other third, I don't know what you do. <laughs> but we spend a lot of time at work. And, and many of you might be groaning silently inside when I, when I mention this, because you might view work as this inconvenience, that it's a hindrance to things you, other things you want to do in life. But my hope this morning is as we study this text that you will actually become excited about work. That, that Christians should be able to joyfully answer the question, why do we work so much? Well, simply put, God designed us for work. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, and of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we learn that God made us in his image, and part of what that means is that we were designed and made to work. God worked for six days, and then he rested, and he is still at work today. We reflect his image as if we were mirrors reflecting his glory on earth. We reflect his image when we work. Or in other words, we worship when we work. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, have dominion over the animals, a.k.a. work. And a little later in Genesis 2.15, it says, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and commanded them to work and to keep. God was the first employer. Adam and Eve were the first employees. See, work is not a bad thing. Work is not a result of sin. Now, cer certainly, sin corrupted our work. It corrupted us and our relationship with work, rather. But work itself is good because it is rooted in who God is. So why do I bring this up? I want us to see from Genesis that work isn't just an inconvenient means of providing food and shelter or a way to, get the, to be able to buy the stuff that you want, but that it's primarily a means of worship. And I want you to see that woven throughout this text that we're going to study this morning, that work is 
worship. In Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9, Paul addresses two groups of people that represent the bulk of formal working relationships at the time, slaves and masters. Now, Scripture never advocates or condones slavery, and certainly slavery back then was much different than what we often think of in the antebellum South in our country's history. But Scripture recognizes that it was a huge part of society at the time, and that it would be beneficial if slaves and masters treated each other properly. What is most important to note in this passage as we walk through it is that Paul, just like Jesus did, utilizes the institution of slavery as an illustration to teach a far greater and more important spiritual truth, that y'all are slaves of Christ. The fact that we are slaves of Christ is crucial to the main point of this text. Since we are slaves, spirit-controlled workers labor for the Lord above all else. And even though it's not a one-to-one comparison, the principles governing the relationship between slaves and masters extends and applies to the employee-employer relationship today. But even if you're not currently working a job, this text still applies to you. It applies to children who are doing their chores when their parents ask them to or cleaning their room. It applies to stay-at-home moms. It applies to retirees who are not just blissfully unemployed, but happily redeployed. It applies to students in a classroom, volunteers serving at church, and even those who are disabled and unable to work in a typical fashion. Now keep in mind that not all work is paid work, and not all work is the same. My hope is that this text will give you a greater sense of purpose in your work, that you will come away encouraged and excited about how God has given your work, no matter what type of job you do, great eternal significance when you do it as an act of worship. So Paul first addresses slaves, and so the first thing that we're going to see in this text is that spirit-controlled employees obey their employers as unto the Lord. Look at verse 5. Bond servants, and really that word should just be translated slaves, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. In this verse, we're going to see four ways that employees obey as unto the Lord. And the first way is through right behavior. What is that right behavior? It's just obedience. Obedience. It's not complex. Obedience is just doing what you're told. It's the same verb used at the beginning of this chapter in how children are to obey their parents. It implies submission or lining up underneath an authority figure. And there are two aspects to our obedience. The first one is that our obedience should be comprehensive, total. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Paul doesn't say we should just obey sometimes or some things, but in everything. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that if your employer asks you to sin, you should do that. In that instance, it would be better to obey God rather than men. But if your boss wants you to be at work on time, you do it. 
If he wants you to push a certain policy or a certain product, you do it. If he gives you a project and a deadline to work on, you do it in time. If your boss expects you to receive critique on your work, you take it. If they ask you to do a task that isn't part of your job description or you think it's beneath you, you do it. Since a theme going on here. If your job allows you to interact with your employer or supervisor, to share your opinions and your judgments, that's great. Do so respectfully. But at the end of the day, when your boss makes a decision, your job is to subordinate, to submit your opinions underneath theirs and their authority. Children, if your parents ask you to obey, if they ask you to clean your room or to take out the trash or pick up your toys, you do it. Students, if your teacher gives you a homework assignment or a project, you do it. In this day and age, we see that people respond sinfully to employers all the time by quietly quitting, slacking off, being lazy, doing the bare minimum, or coasting to quit in time. But our obedience should be comprehensive no matter who we are working for or what kind of work we are doing. Secondly, our obedience should be unconditional. So it needs to be comprehensive and unconditional. That means we should obey despite how we feel, how we are treated, and not based on incentives. You cannot excuse yourself from obedience based on how you are treated. The secular world bases their obedience on conditions, like having ethnic, reproductive, immigrant, homosexual, or even workplace rights. Don't get me wrong, workplace rights are good and necessary thing to have. But at the heart of the issue is that when, we, is when people expect conditions based on the sinful idea that everyone should be treated equally, that there's no distinctions, that my employer is privileged to have me, and he should show it, as opposed to, I am privileged to have work, and that requires sacrifice sometimes. The scriptures teach us that workers deserve a fair wage for their work, but there are times in life when you will be asked to do more work or harder work than what was initially uh, expected, and that's okay. But if you sinfully respond to your employer, if you make your obedience conditional on demands that are based on wrong thinking, then your work is no longer worship. Unconditional obedience also means that we obey even if our employer is not nice to us. 1 Peter chapter 2 reminds us, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Simply put, our obedience does not extend only to good employers. Now remember, there's a difference here between slaves and today's modern-day employees. Slaves couldn't just leave their, employ- their masters if they were abusive and unjust. But we can. We are not bound by a lifetime commitment to our job. We are not obligated to work for someone who is abusive and unjust. We have the freedom to leave, and there are times when that is good and appropriate when we do it wisely and respectfully. But a right view of God and work will help us recognize that there are times when God has called you to remain 
and suffer for his glory. God doesn't always call us to the nice, cushy, and easy job. God doesn't always call us to a friendly work environment either. And we must be careful and balanced in our thinking about work. We've got to guard our hearts against greed so that we don't make our obedience conditional upon having every comfort or everything the way we want. That would betray a heart of pride and entitlement and greed. But obedience alone is not worship. It's not pleasing to God unless it's accompanied by the right attitude. That's the second way we obey our employers. Verse 5 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. So another way to say this, and the way we teach our kids at home is, obedience is all the way, right away, with a happy heart. But that's not just true for our kids. It's true for me too. And I know this is where the passage starts to get into my kitchen, into my personal life. It's one thing to obey. It's another thing to do it from an attitude of respect for your employer and with the right heart. It's easy to find things you disagree with your employers on. It's easy to see their flaws. It's easy to see their mistakes and to think poorly of them. You might think you're smarter, wiser, more just than your employer, and maybe you are. But regardless, Paul says that we should obey with an attitude of fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, fear here does not mean like terror like when you scold your dog for having an accident or chewing on your furniture. That's not what it means. It's not cowering. But it also doesn't just simply mean respect either. A lot of people say they have respect for Jesus in the world, but that doesn't change their attitude or obedience to him. It's best understood this way. Reverence that leads someone to be eager to please. Reverence that leads someone to be eager to please. The idea of trembling means that your reverence is clearly visible. When we obey our employers, it should be evident to them that our aim is to respect and honor their position. Certainly there are supervisors and bosses out there who haven't done much to earn or warrant respect. But we should give it anyways, even if they don't deserve it. Why? Because God sovereignly put that person in authority above you. Jesus told Pilate that no one has any authority except which is given from above. So therefore, we should not obey begrudgingly or out of exasperation because we are ultimately responding to the lordship of Jesus Christ and how we respect our employers. The right attitude also includes a sincere heart. That means our respect for our employer isn't fake. It's genuine. It's not just an outward show that really conceals an ulterior motive or a hidden agenda like trying to gain power or money. You don't seek to ingratiate yourself by buttering up your boss or flattering them. You shouldn't pretend to honor your boss to their face and then when you're in the work break room slandering them behind their backs. You simply obey because it's the right thing to do. Are you starting to feel your need for the Holy Spirit's help yet? The third way we obey our employers as unto the Lord is by having the right motivation. And this is perhaps the most important and most helpful point of this passage. 
The final phrase of verse 5 says, you should obey your employer as you would Christ. Your primary motivation is the fact that you are ultimately obeying Jesus when you do so. This is what separates the good Christian employee from the unbelieving Christian employee who's also good. Through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we obey our employers as if it is Jesus. Another way to say it is how we obey our employers is a reflection of how we obey Christ. Paul further explains in verses 6 through 7, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So here Paul says that our obedience is actually wrapped up in our identity. When you ask somebody, what do you do for a living? You're going to hear lots of different answers, but they're all going to sound similar in one sense. Say, I'm a student in college. I'm a bank teller. I'm an insurance rep. I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer at CAT. The way we answer that question kind of sounds like it's part of our identity because we spend so much time doing it. But Paul reminds us who we really are in verse 6. We are slaves of Christ. This means that we relate to Jesus as a slave does a master in every sense of the word. He owns us. We belong to him. What he says, we do. We are at his complete disposal whenever and however he sees fit. As 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, we make it our aim to please him. How wonderful it is then that Jesus just so happens to be the best, most loving, gracious, and benevolent master of all time. But you don't need to change how you answer the question, the occupation question. But in our minds, we should continually be reflecting on our true identity. I am a slave of Christ who happens to work at fill in the blank. I mean, you can tell that answer to people if they ask you. It would be interesting to see their reaction. I am a slave of Christ who works at Cat. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. But those of you in the category of atypical work, retirees, those who are disabled, stay-at-home moms, this is such an important truth. You, though you may not have a boss in the typical fashion, Jesus is your boss. You are a slave of Christ. You work for him. What work do you do? The will of God in whatever situation he has put you in. Only when we understand our true identity will we have the right motivation to obey with integrity instead of eye service as people pleasers. Those who do eye service are the people who only work when the boss is in the room. That's the, they, that's the only time they work hard. Or the only kind of work they do is the kind that gets reward and recognition. All the other kind of work, they slough off or don't, uh, they dismiss it. Instead, we should strive in integrity to give the best that we have because we know Jesus is watching us all the time. So as a slave of Christ, we are motivated to do the will of God from the heart. That means you seek to give yourself freely, wholeheartedly to the task at hand because it is God's will. Paul says we do this by rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. This means that we should be known as the most productive employees, the most skillful, most diligent, agreeable, cheerful, enthusiastic employees of all time. 
we should embody the Chick-fil-A ethos of hard work, service with a smile, and my pleasure. By doing this, we maintain a faithful gospel witness in the workplace, and we actually mediate God's active care in the world. That's what it means to be salt and light. This is what it looks like to worship God through your work. When I was in college, I worked a part-time job uh, for a company where I worked with people with disabilities of various kinds. I worked in uh, group home settings and and in uh, independent living situations as well. Did it for several years. And the work itself wasn't laboriously hard, physically taxing, but it was mentally and emotionally taxing at times. And it didn't pay very well. And I remember one particular night, I was talking to my father on the phone and I was complaining. I was complaining about how I thought I deserved more honor and recognition from my boss for the hard work I was doing. And my dad so gently, graciously, and biblically said to me, Tyson, who do you work for? Roy or the Lord? That's all it took. Conscience was cut to the quick there. Message was heard loud and clear. I wasn't worshiping through my work. I needed to work hard as unto the Lord and not for man. But I also should not have forgotten that if I work heartily unto the Lord and do not receive a just reward here on earth, that there would be one waiting for me in heaven. And this is the final subpoint. This is the right perspective that we need that helps us work for our employers as unto the Lord. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. The right perspective means that you live out the firm conviction that you'll receive a reward from the Lord in the life to come. Your work may go unnoticed. Maybe somebody else gets the credit for your hard work. Maybe your employers and your fellow co-workers treat you poorly. But when we suffer wrongs or encounter injustice, we can rest in the fact that God knows and God rewards all believers who work for his glory. This verse should be a buoy to your soul when you work in a tough environment, when you work an unglamorous job or even a low-paying job. This provides encouragement for those who know the demoralizing loss of being laid off from work and how dehumanizing it can be when you're unemployed. The world may treat you poorly, but Christ will reward graciously and generously. So when you struggle, keep moving forward, step at a time in obedience, knowing that you are storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And this verse makes it clear that the Lord is impartial and he rewards all people slaves and freemen. In the final day, your reward won't depend on your position or on what type of work you did. Christ won't ask you about that. The Lord will ask you what you did as his slave. As one pastor put it, on the final day before Christ, it's better to have been a slave with menial tasks faithfully done than to have been the CEO who neglected Christ and now stands before him saying, you did not do what I had for you in your life. 
So when you are discouraged, remember the long game. Keep the eternal perspective. Having the right behavior, the right attitude, the right motive, and the right perspective will help you endure in obeying your employers as unto the Lord. It will turn your work into worship. In the final verse, verse 9, Paul changes audiences and now addresses employers. He says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So this is our final point. Spirit-controlled employers serve their employees as unto the Lord. The idea of serving as an employer is pretty counter, counterintuitive and countercultural in the world of management and leadership. Profit is usually what drives management in their shrewd, calculated, and objective decisions. Employees are a tool, a resource meant to be spent for the good of the company, the bottom line, and for the shareholders. But here, Paul is telling employers, you better adjust your bottom line and serve the employees as you serve the Lord. Now, don't check out if you're not an employer. If you're not a business owner, if you're not a supervisor, there are principles here that still apply in situations because leadership is not relegated to the workplace. Any realm where you have a modicum of leadership, whether it's as a parent, a Sunday school teacher, or if you aspire to serve in the church as a deacon or lead a ministry or be an elder, these principles apply in so many ways. There are three ways employers serve as unto the Lord in this, in this verse. The first way is by carrying out the right duty. Spirit-controlled employers understand they have a duty to serve. The first clause says, Masters, do the same to them, which is like the tip of an iceberg where you don't see the giant mass underneath the water. It's a short phrase with a lot behind it. It's as if Paul is saying, Masters, ditto. Everything I just said about the employers applies to you too. Now, that doesn't mean this isn't an erasure of distinctions and roles in the workplace. This doesn't mean that employers are supposed to obey their employees. That's not what mutual submission means. That would subvert God's order and design and throw everything into chaos and confusion. But it means that the spirit-controlled employer has the same duty to do the will of God from the heart toward their employees. They are to treat them with respect because they're fellow image bearers of God. And if it applies, fellow believers. And ultimately, they should treat them with sincerity of heart as they would treat the Lord. In essence, this is the golden rule put into practice. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you want those under your authority to respect you, then you better respect them. If you want your employees to work hard with integrity, then you better not just do the same, but even more. Spirit-controlled employers should exhibit the same integrity, honesty, and cheerfulness that they want from their employees. Your duty as, a, as an employer is unconditional too. That means no matter how you're treated, no matter the product, no matter what struggles your employers have, you have the duty and obligation to treat them well. Exhibit Christ-like character in all circumstances, for you have an incredible opportunity to wield your authority 
in an act of worship as you manifest God's goodness, justice, and grace to those under your leadership. The second way employers serve as unto the Lord is through the right leadership. Look at verse 9 again. Paul simply commands them to stop your threatening. Biblical leadership is never done in a domineering and threatening manner. It should not be conducted through intimidation. We do not use our authority as a cudgel to beat people into submission. You ought to remember here that there is an earthly limitation on your authority. You cannot simply do whatever you please because you yourself are under the authority of God. This doesn't mean you have to refrain from using your authority to reprimand or even fire somebody if they're a bad employee. What it means is that you require and expect performance not on arbitrary or subjective means or through fear, but through objective righteous standards and by leading through your righteous character. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon and not surprising that many employers in the world wield and brandish their authority in a threatening way. But that is not the way Jesus taught us, and it is not the example he left for us. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says, starting in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest example of leadership that we should aspire to. Jesus humbled himself to the point of being a servant. No one more glorious has ever lowered himself so far. And even though we should have served him, he came to serve us, the creator serving the creation. He sacrificially served to the point of death on a cross for unworthy sinners. He paid for our mistakes and our rebellion. It is this style of leadership that Jesus calls us to as leaders. And the last way employers serve as unto the Lord is by having the right theology. The last part of verse 9 says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Having the right theology means two things in this verse, that you are on equal footing before the throne of God and that you will be held accountable for your use of authority. So though God has delegated to you some of his authority on earth, you are still equal to your employees in God's eyes. You carry the same rank and identity as a slave of Christ. You work for the same master. And this should dissolve any temptation toward pride, swagger, or abuse of authority in the workplace. And since you ultimately serve the Lord, you will have to give an account for how you lead. He doesn't play favorites just because you're in leadership. He is an impartial judge. There is no grading on a curve or extra leniency for employers. In fact, there is a greater level of, sh- of stricter accountability for those in leadership. Jesus won't evaluate you based on the success of your work or your business, but on your obedience to him. Colossians 3.25 says, In the context of work, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
To have the right theology means you soberly live knowing that how you treat your employees is how you treat the Lord. This perspective should keep you vertically oriented in your relationship with the Lord first and foremost as it plays out horizontally among your employees. The spirit-controlled employer serves their employees as unto the Lord when they have the right duty, the right leadership style, and theology. This is how employers worship in their work. And this is what the spirit-controlled workplace should look like. We should labor above all else for the Lord because we are slaves of Christ. As you're listening to this, as you're studying this word, you may be convicted in some areas of your life where you're not being spirit-controlled. And if you are, that's the grace of God working in you. He disciplines those he loves. But I don't want you to leave here just feeling convicted over sin. I want you to be encouraged and equipped by God's word. Church, I want you to walk away from this text with a reoriented view of your work. The thing that you spend a third of your life doing. It is arguably the biggest arena of your life in which you can display God's glory. And I hope you've seen in this text how Christ turns our ordinary, mundane, Monday through Friday, eight to five work into something extraordinary. This isn't a message about being a better employee. This is a message about worshiping through your work. So worship God through your work. As Mike mentioned in his prayer, it's easy to compartmentalize our Christian life. To think that worship is something that you do on Sundays at church or when you're doing some spiritual activity, when you're with your family, in your personal study. But once you leave the house for work, it doesn't apply anymore. But we must not create a divide between the sacred and the secular in our minds. Your job is your mission field. Your job is where you shine the light of the gospel. When your work is done with the right heart, it is worship. No matter what you do for a living, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a CEO, God has sovereignly put you where you are to bear His image for His glory through your work to provide and to worship. You don't have to be a missionary to glorify God more. You don't have to be a vocational pastor to have a greater spiritual impact in this world. You just have to be a faithful obedient slave of Christ wherever God has put you. And so I pray that this text will speak into your heart and give you great hope and great encouragement as you reflect on God's holy, eternal purpose in your work. Would you please pray with me? Father, your word It's a high standard and a high calling. It always challenges our earthly earthly perspective and our earthly gut instincts on things. It calls us to something higher all the time. And that higher standard, your standard, Lord, is too high for us to attain on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We are so dependent upon your spirit. So I pray, Lord, that people would hear listening, would 
grow in dependency upon your word and in your spirit to live out our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. I pray that you would help us to become excited about work when we see how impactful we can be for your glory when we work as worship. Please help us to submit in hard circumstances in our, when we have um, difficult bosses or difficult co-workers or when our job itself is hard. Help us to still obey. Help us to work as unto the Lord. Help us to embrace our identity every day as slaves of Christ so that we might glorify you, so that we might spread the gospel in our workplace, Lord. We ask for your help. We plead and implore because we know we can't do it on our own. So Lord, please help us to be humbly dependent upon you as we go forth tomorrow back into the workforce for your glory. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're ever like me, you hear something like that and that pride that's in you, it kind of wells up and you say, but I don't want to obey and I don't want to have the right attitude or the right behavior. Well, what do we do then? We can take a play out of John the Baptist playbook when one of his, somebody in his camp was trying to poison the well and get him to compete with Jesus. What did he do? He said, my joy is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. The one who is from above is above all. That's our great God. That's who we give our obedience to, and that's who we give our worship. Would you stand with us as we sing?
now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. That is the plea that we should all have after seeing a text like that, that we need God's help. We need his grace to live as obedient slaves of Christ for his glory. We can't do it in our own strength, and if we try, then we become legalists pretty quickly. So we need to prayerfully depend on the Lord. But some of you in this room, though, might be hearing this language about being a slave of Christ, and you start thinking about what does that mean, and examining your life. Am I a slave of Christ? Because everybody is a slave of something in this world. You're either a slave of Christ or a slave of sin. Those are the two camps of people in this world. And so you have to ask yourself and examine honestly, what is the pattern of my life? Do I serve the Lord or do I serve my own sinful flesh and passions? If that is you, if you look at your life and you think, man, I don't think I serve the Lord. as I don't think I'm a slave of Christ. Well, today's the day. Today's the day where you can cry out to Christ and ask him to forgive you for your sin, where you can ask him to give you a new heart and tell him you want to be his slave, that you want to be saved from your sin. You can start anew. And I encourage you and implore you to do so. All of us have to examine ourselves and our spiritual walk to see, am I living? Some of us stumble, stumble sometimes in living for the Christ, and we just have to get back up and remind ourselves of our identity. The Lord is a gracious and benevolent master. You'll find no other like him. So let us go forth this morning and serve the Lord as obedient slaves. Before we leave, let's say our benediction together. Let's read the address first. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And those who are slaves of Christ would say, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.